And now, it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Welcome again, everybody, to Witness Radio. Today, we are talking with Paul Taylor. Well, if you don't know who Paul Taylor is, you're missing out because he's a great guy. He's a a creationist. He's worked with Answers in Genesis. He's worked with Creation Today. And we've got him on the line today. We're going to be talking with him and picking his brain. Paul, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. If you're intending to pick my brain, though, it'll be a very short program. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. For the listeners who have no idea who you are, why don't you give us a bio? Right. Well, as briefly as I can, then, my name's Paul Taylor. I'm, uh, I'm English. I was born in Manchester in the north of England. Uh, when I went to school, I went to a specialist music school, trained to be a musician, and uh, got interested in sciences. I was saved at the age of 16, went on to uh, university and uh, read chemistry at university, uh, became a school teacher in uh, what you would call public schools in, uh, in England. We don't call them public schools, we call them state government schools. So I taught in the north of England and, uh, for many years and then in, the, in South Wales for many years. I taught altogether about 20 years, uh, rising eventually to be a uh, head of science, and uh, I was somewhat influential in that I uh, was part of a focus group in the northwest of England that was advising the government of the day in the late 1980s on uh, the introduction of the national curriculum to uh, national curriculum in science to England. And uh, my master's uh, thesis is on the subject of uh, the, na- uh, the national curriculum and spiritual values within the national curriculum. I spent, uh, uh, leaving teaching, I spent about five or six years running uh, an ICT business, doing web development and uh, ICT training. Uh, and then uh, I became full-time speaker on creation in 2005. Now, I have been speaking on creation uh, since, my, since my teens. I've been speaking and writing on the subject of creation for well over 35 years, uh, but full-time since 2005 when I worked with uh, Answers in Genesis. And from 2011, I worked at Creation Today, and now um, working with a, a small uh, ministry called New Life Creation Ministries under the banner of New Life Church. So uh, that's the, my potted history. I live and work in Pensacola, Florida, and travel around the United States talking about creation, evolution, and Genesis, the authority of Scripture, and how to defend your faith successfully. What's your website? Where, where can people go to find out more information about you and see videos or audio clips or anything like that? Well, my website is called just6days.com. That's all written as words. There isn't a number six there. It's uh, S-I-X in the middle of that. Just6days.com. Because when I wrote my first book, I called it Just Six Days. So actually, when Masterbooks took it over and republished it, they changed the name of it, as they often do. But um, that's my website, then, for historical reasons. So that's where you can find me, and you can find videos of me in action there, and articles, and uh, you can purchase uh, books, and you can purchase e-books as well. There's some special things on that website that you can't get anywhere else. Give us a short testimony of how you came to know Christ. I was brought up in the Church of England. My parents went to the Church of England. My father was a server in, uh, uh, in the parish church. 
Uh, so I was brought up to go to church and uh, to go to Sunday school, which I guess gave me some sort of a background. But of course, the Church of England is uh, largely liberal, though there are some gospel-believing churches within it, but I wasn't brought up to go to one of them. Now, uh, in my mid-teens, my family actually had an argument with the vicar of the church. What happened was that uh, uh, we changed churches. We went to a different church, still another Church of England church, but this was a very different uh, church. The vicar clearly believed the Bible to be true, and he, he actually... I was used to um, ministers in the Church of England talking in a funny voice, and if no one's been in the Church of England, you perhaps won't understand that, but quite often vicars used to have a sort of sing-song voice that they put on when they were doing the services. I was actually impressed by the fact that this man talked in a normal voice, that he believed the Bible to be true, and he talked about being saved. He talked about uh, the fact that uh, you are not a Christian just because you, uh, your parents were Christians, or you, know, you thought your parents were Christians or whatever. And uh, I realized uh, by Christmas 1976 that I was not a Christian. I realized that uh, you know, my, my life was just a waste. I wasn't a particularly uh, bad person, but I was leading very much a double life. I was one person at home and one person at school, a very different type of person. And uh, I realized that, that there was something very, very badly wrong there, that uh, there was uh, something that uh, the Bible calls sin. By Easter 1977, I know that I had found Jesus, and I know that he'd saved me. And I can't remember the exact date between then, but I do remember one Sunday, the, the vicar giving a call to the altar, and uh, I was the first person down the aisle to, uh, to the altar rails to, uh, to pray and to uh, put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that you're coming on the show today is because you've got a book that recently came out called Don't Miss the Boat. Obviously, it's about Noah and the Ark. Why do you feel that there's so much interest in Noah and the Ark right now? I mean, we've got Hollywood has a Noah movie out. You've got a Noah book out. Ray Comfort just came out with a Noah movie. Why do you think there's such a big interest in Noah and the Ark? Well, Ray, obviously, quite rightly, uh, decided to do his movie uh, based on the fact that uh, the Noah movie was coming out, the Hollywood Noah movie was coming out in the, uh, in the film theaters. Uh, actually, my book was published before I'd heard of the Noah movie, so I can at least make that point. It was published uh, just over 12 months ago. But I, I felt that it's very important to have an easy-to-read guide to the flood. There are some very good books about the flood, uh, but they tend to be quite technical. You know, obviously, there's the well-known book, The Genesis Flood, which really sparked off the, um, uh, the modern creationist movement and was very, very influential for a lot of us in the early days. That book was actually published of very long time ago, in 1961, uh, just a couple of months before I was even born. Uh, and the science in it is out of date. The theology is not, but the science in it is out of date. Uh, and uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling did an updated version of it, basically, uh, under the title Earth's Catastrophic Past, which is a very good book, and anyone who really wants to find out about uh, the technicalities of the flood really ought to look at that book. And I've been heavily influenced by that in putting my book together. Uh, and also um, uh, Dr. John Morris's book, uh, as well recently about the flood. But uh, I wanted something that was really down-to-earth, uh, that was really easy to understand, and that's what I hope I've achieved with, uh, with the book, uh, which has quite a low reading age. And there's a lot of interest because of the Noah movie. People are going to be talking about Noah, talking about the flood. Uh, one gets the impression that Hollywood are treating the uh, story very much like Lord of the Rings, you know, with very fantastical... Uh, difficult to believe computer graphics, which is great in Lord of the Rings, you know, films that I love, because those are uh, fictional. 
But of course, uh, the account in the Bible is not fictional. It's the truth. And so when they use a poetic license and uh, do all sorts of things that make the scenes look imaginary, that's going to be a problem. People are going to be talking about the flood, about Noah, about the ark, whether people believe these things are real or not. And we need to be able to step up to the mark and be able to give people answers to the questions that are going to be asked. I've been looking at your Don't Miss the Boat book, and one thing I've noticed is it's written almost like it's five books in one. Well, there are a number of things that I wanted to achieve with it. I wanted everything to be easy to understand for a start, and the first part of the book is to do with biblical exposition, because I always start from the Bible, and this is... uh, uh, this is perhaps what marks me out as different from other creation speakers, because I want to start from the Bible. I'm not trying to look at evidences to prove the Bible. I'm starting from the Bible and seeing where that takes us. It's, it's my starting point. It's my presupposition at all times that the Bible is true. So what I've done, first of all, is to go through the, uh, the biblical reasons for accepting that the flood is true and to go through each of the, uh, the chapters on the subject of the flood. And then I've looked at the history then, a number of historical articles to do with why it is that we don't believe the flood anymore. So that's looking at the history of, uh, of geology um, uh, a couple of hundred years ago as people started to believe in millions of years and the reason why. And by the way, people need to know that the millions of years concept came about before the theory of evolution. Uh, the theory of evolution is predicated on the millions of years. Uh, it's not that uh, the people started to think evolution was right and then developed millions of years. It's the other way around. The millions of years came about first uh, undermining the word of God, and then obviously that left the, the, door, the door open for the theory of evolution. So we've got that historical article. We've got historical art, an article about the early civilizations, which I take to all be post-flood, you know, early Egyptian, Sumerian, Babylonian civilizations, and so on. And, uh, and then a brief history of the modern creationist movements as well. Then we get into the science, which is often where people start. And as I said, I don't like to start there. I want to give the background first, but the science is important. So I've shown what fossils are, what the reason for fossils is. And uh, I have a very neat uh, way of explaining fossils, which hopefully we'll come to. Uh, so we'll look at that. We'll look at radiometric dating. We'll look at all the various scientific issues uh, around the subject of the flood, uh, including was there an ice age and so on, which uh, we believe there was. And uh, after that, I wanted to look at what the world was before the flood. Now, we have no idea what the world was really like before the flood. So it's always going to be something of a conjecture. So since it was going to, it was always going to be conjecture, I decided to really emphasize that to people, that it was conjecture, by making them fictional stories. So there's actually four short stories, fiction there, uh, which hopefully are fun to read. Most of the reviewers on Amazon think they're fun to read, uh, giving an idea of what I think from the Bible the world was like before the flood. And finally, the most important chapter is the gospel according to Noah, because the big thing that we learn from the whole account of flood is uh, uh, that God judges the world uh, because of sin and that God saves people in his mercy by grace through faith, uh, which is how Noah and his family were saved through the flood. Gotta say, I absolutely love the gospel chapter because it's such a clear and biblical presentation of the gospel. You don't see that in a lot of the more scientific publications because that's not their focus. Their focus is providing evidence, but you have the focus on the gospel uh, throughout everything that you do. Well, let me give you an example of how how I 
think that works out because when people are talking about fossils, they want to uh, say, how were fossils formed? Were fossils formed over millions of years, as the evolutionists say? Were they formed over a short period of time, as creationists say? What's the answer there, and what scientific evidence can we use for that? And really, I want to get away from either of those, even though I believe the latter to be correct. Really, it's a bit like Joshua taking the, the children of Israel across the Jordan. The first thing they did when they got across the Jordan was they piled up the stones of witness. And uh, Joshua said to the people, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you will tell them what they mean. They mean that God delivered you out of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought you into the promised land. Well, in the same way, you know, you go looking uh, uh, into rocky structures, and you're going to find fossils. And our children will ask us, what are fossils about? They bring you a fossil and say, what does this mean? And so many Christians look at the fossil and say, don't know, go and ask your science teacher at school. And that's the wrong answer. That What the fossil means is very clear. It has two meanings. First, very technical scientific thing about the fossil is that you will notice that it is dead. That's the first most important scientific fact about a fossil. It's dead. Why is it dead? We believe that most fossils, the overwhelming majority of fossils, were formed during the flood. So the reason why that fossil is there imprinted in the rock is because God is a God of judgment. He sends a worldwide flood to destroy the world because of people's sin. He judges sin because he is a holy and righteous God who cannot abide sin. So the first world uh, that existed was destroyed by a worldwide flood. That's the first fact about the fossil. The second fact about the fossil is that you can see the fossil. Since you can see the fossil, it means that your ancestors must have survived the flood. And the only reason that your ancestors would survive the flood is because they were descended from Noah and his family. And Noah was saved in the ark by grace. It tells us in Genesis 6 verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it tells us in Hebrews 11 that Noah had the righteousness which comes by faith. He was saved by grace through faith, which is the way that we are saved. Putting our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of the sins, which really should mean that we're destroyed, and putting our trust in Jesus. That's what a fossil actually means. And that's what we should be telling our children when they say, what does this stone mean? Amen. Mentioned earlier, Hollywood's got a Noah movie coming out at the end of the month. What are your thoughts regarding their depiction of Noah and the Ark? Well, I've read a few things about uh, the uh, the movie. I have to say that you know I don't know because I haven't seen it. I know what people have said about it, and people who I respect have made some negative comments about it, and I'm sure that they are correct. I hear that they're depicting Noah as if he was a sort of climate change activist. He sounds as if he's an unpleasant person. Uh, I don't know really what to make of it. I haven't seen it. Uh, I suspect I will probably go and see it, then I can talk about it, because it's going to be a talking point. I want to uh, be able to talk knowledgeably about it, and I want to be able to point out to people what was wrong with it. And uh, so I think following March the 28th, when uh, the film is released, um, very, very shortly, I think that's the point when people are going to be talking about the subject, and we need to be, uh, we need to be uh, educated to make sure that we can talk about it too. Are you tired of just sitting there listening to the gospel being shared and want to do your part to fulfill the Great Commission? Then stand up and step out of your comfort zone by joining us at these upcoming outreaches. Abortion Prevention. Every Monday from noon to 2, we will be at the Planned Parenthood on Auburn Avenue. Christian Collegiate Network Bible Fellowship 
Thursday starting at 1230 on the UC campus. We'll be giving away the Biggest Question DVDs at the UC campus on March 26th from 11 to 3. Sunday, March 30th, beginning at 10.30, Ryan will be speaking at Bulletsburg Baptist Church in Petersburg, Kentucky. Evolution vs. God DVD giveaway, April 1st, beginning at noon on the UC campus. For more information, find us on Facebook or visit witnesstalkradio.org. Hello, my name is Paul Taylor. And I've been speaking about creation, genesis, evolution, apologetics, and so on for over 35 years in the United Kingdom and now in the United States. And I've worked with ministries like Answers in Genesis and Creation Today. If you'd like me to come and speak to your church and have an easy-to-understand talk on the subject, I would be honored to do so. You can contact me through my website, www.justsixdays.com. Dot com, where you'll find a, a contact form and my email address and my phone number to be able to get in touch with me. While you're there, you might find it useful to sign up for my email newsletter. And if you do so, you will get a free ebook on how to create your own free ebooks for your website. So don't hesitate. Go to www.justsixdays.com, sign up, and find out how I can come and minister in your church. Okay, welcome back. Again, we're talking with Paul Taylor of New Life Creation Ministries. Paul, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. Do you evangelize, or how do you share your faith? Well, we're all called uh, to share our faith, and uh, I'm a pretty normal Christian. I guess you're probably not going to see me out on the streets very regularly, going out street witnessing. There is that... uh, element that I share probably with a lot of Christians of uh, finding difficulty in doing that. And this is an area that I am learning about at the moment and listening to, to, to what people say. I know I need more courage on this. Certainly when I'm meeting with people, you know, as I'm traveling around the country, it's uh, very often the case that I'll be sat on a plane next to uh, somebody who needs to uh, hear the gospel and I, I take those sort of opportunities uh, when I can. Uh, if I get into conversation, I'm not a very good conversationalist anyway. I'm uh, one of these people who <laughs> finds it tricky to get into uh, individual conversations and yet very, very easy to talk to a couple of thousand people from a platform. So I know I'm sort of very unusual on both those scores. But uh, uh, when I um, when I do get the opportunity, it's uh, going to be uh, Ray's methodology that I use because it's not Ray's methodology, of course, uh, as, as he puts it in his... Uh, he used to put it in his program. It's the way of the master. It's Jesus's method. It's the it's the method that you'll find in the Bible, uh, showing people their need of a savior by using the law and then uh, giving them the gospel. And so I, I endorse that methodology. And uh, whenever I speak, I always share the gospel in what I do when I speak. For example, uh, I I used to do a talk back in Britain. I've done it once in the United States. Not been asked to do it a lot here, but I used to do a talk back in Britain that was very popular called Deconstructing Dawkins where I used to go through Richard Dawkins' uh, famous book, The God Delusion, and uh, basically pull it to pieces. Uh, uh, Britain's Channel 4 network were doing a documentary series featuring Richard Dawkins, and they heard that I was speaking on this subject in London one time, and they asked uh, if they could come and film uh, the the talk. Uh, Now, better cut a long story short, because there were lots of uh, things to do with with, uh, 
uh, to do with setting up that particular event. But it happened. Uh, the producer brought his cameras in to film my talk and then said, by the way, we've got Richard Dawkins in the van outside. He said, can you come in and watch the talk? So we thought, well, it's an open meeting, really. There's no reason why he shouldn't. So uh, he did come in and he did listen to the talk. And I made sure in the last 10 minutes that I preached the gospel. So I don't know how many times Richard Dawkins has heard the gospel from other people, but I can tell you confidently that he has heard the gospel at least once. Praise God for that. That's amazing how God just orchestrates these things, much like what you were just talking about there. So you were with AIG before, and you've been with Creation Today, and now you're with New Life Creation Ministry. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, it's a, it's a very grand-sounding name because people want a name, and it basically means it's me and my wife, and that's the, uh, the ministry that we have. And, uh, you know, I think people are rightly wary of one-person ministries, and so they should be. So... Where does that name come from? It comes from the fact that I'm a member of a church in Pensacola called New Life Church. Uh, New Life Church is uh, is an Assemblies of God church, a small new church plant that meets at uh, a coffee shop. There's a well-known, very well-known coffee shop in Pensacola that uh, people know about there and gravitate to, and we meet there on Sundays. The owner of that coffee shop is a Christian. We meet there on Sundays, and so I'm under the covering, if you like, then, of that church and hence of the uh, of the Assemblies of God districts as well. It's wonderful that you mentioned the fact that you and your wife are the only ones in your ministry. You still have the authority of the local church keeping you accountable. You know, there's a lot of people out there these days starting up different ministries, and they have no accountability. It's just them doing whatever they want to do, and if they get away from the Bible, there's no one there to keep them accountable and to bring them back. So right. thank you for yeah. keeping yourself accountable, and thank your church on, on our behalf. It's, it's a very important point, you know, and I'm one of uh, I'm, I'm one of the elders of the church, so we believe in a, in a biblical leadership. So, you know, if the pastor there at the church was saying something that was wrong, I would be checking up on him. If I'm saying something that's wrong, he will be checking up on me. And it's uh, it, it's very important because that's the way churches should be. We are accountable to each other, and we're accountable to the spiritual and biblical leadership that we have. And uh, I do, I am concerned that there are many well-meaning individuals who go off the rails because they are not accountable to people. We have seen some disastrous creation ministries in this country, in the United States, as you know, uh, led by people who have not been under any authority and who've gone off the rails. And uh, this is a matter, always going to be a matter of concern. We must stay under the uh, under the covering, under the, uh, the leadership uh, of godly people. What other works have you done? I, we were talking about your most recent book, Don't Miss the Boat. What are some other things that you've done that people can check out? Well, my first book was called Just Six Days, and then uh, in 2007 that was republished by Master Books under the title The Six Days of Genesis. So people can get hold of that book. Now that is a, a commentary, on uh, an easy-to-read commentary on uh, Genesis chapters 1 to 11. Uh, when my good friend uh, John Mackay saw that book, he said, um, it looks like you've written this book for young teenagers to uh, to learn from and to understand, which was a, a great compliment because I was trying to make it easy to read. So it is from early teens to adults in uh, in reading age. And uh, that's, that's uh, the point of that book. Now, I did have the opportunity a couple of years ago to, um, to produce a six-part 
DVD series uh, based on the first two chapters of Genesis uh, under the title The Six Days of Genesis. So that uh, DVD series is also available, and that's quite useful for small group uh, studies. Another book that I wrote is called No Time for Itching Ears, which is based on the uh, the comment in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, where it uh, says that there will be a time coming when people won't endure sound doctrine, but actually will go after everything that their itching ears tell them to. And uh, what that book is about is looking at all the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, things like uh, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, doctrines of salvation, and so on. And I'm showing how those doctrines are based on a foundation of Genesis being true. So that's uh, the book, No Time for Itching Ears. I wrote a book called Truth, Lies, or Science Education, which is about my experience in uh, education and a biblical uh, basis for education, how, how uh, people should understand education in the Western world and from a biblical point of view. And uh, then there's uh, a book that I jointly wrote with uh, Ian McNaughton, who is the chairman of the Board of Governors of Answers in Genesis UK, and that book's called Darwin and Darwinism, 150 years later. Now that's about, uh, obviously, Charles Darwin. It's a biography of Charles Darwin and uh, a criticism of his work that was uh, published in 2009, which was the bicentenary of uh, Darwin's birth and also, coincidentally, the 150th anniversary of the publication of The uh, Origin of Species. Uh, so those are some of the uh, books that uh, you can get hold of at the moment. Now, you also have, I was looking at your website, and I noticed that you have a podcast called Walking the Dog. What is yes. that all about? Well, it was just uh, my sort of musings and thoughts and so on. I found uh, time to uh, to record that on a, an Olympus voice recorder as I was walking my dog. That's <laughs> what, hence the name of the uh, the podcast. I haven't actually done an episode of that for a couple of months, but uh, the idea was that uh, as I was walking the dog, I was talking and making my thoughts known, really, on uh, on various issues. Uh, so they've got quite an interesting audience that people uh, seem to like that but as I said I've been very busy we moved house and uh, changed ministries and various things have happened so I haven't really got the chance had the chance to do anything about that for a couple of months however I'm revisiting this whole business about broadcasting and uh, uh, watch this space please because I will be putting together a live audio broadcast um, through the internet um, at some point in the near future uh, so if you keep an eye on my website I will have details about that very soon but uh, I want that to be a live broadcast because I want people to be able to contact me with questions uh, one of the things I love doing is answering questions live when I do talks I like people to answer uh, to ask me questions straight away and I just love thinking on my feet I used to do a TV program on Revelation TV back in the United Kingdom where I did precisely that for a couple of hours at a time, uh, where people would phone in and ask questions. I just love the challenge of thinking on my feet. So uh, I really want to bring that to the United States and to uh, an audio. I was going to say radio show. It'll be an audio show. It'll, I don't know whether it will get on uh, one of the radio stations, though I, uh, I would like it to, but it will certainly be broadcast through the Internet. What else do you have coming up? What's on the horizon? Do you have any speaking engagements where people can come listen to you or any projects that are in the work? Anything going on? So if you want to find out about the events that I'm uh, speaking at, then do have a look at uh, my website. And uh, you can also also find things out on, uh, on Facebook, on my Facebook public page as well. And uh, yes, there are a couple of sort of things that haven't been settled in dates yet over the next month or two. Uh, but there will be some... Um, 
conference is coming up uh, in the local area around Pensacola, a couple of conferences coming up in the local area around Pensacola uh, very shortly within the next month, uh, month and a half or so. I'll be speaking at the North California Fire, NorCal Fire Conference in September. Uh, so that will be something uh, to look out for as well if you're in the uh, North California area. Just keep your eyes open for things like that. I'm working on a, a big project at the moment, uh, which I'm calling Where Birds Eat Horses, which is an interesting title. I like the title, Where Birds Eat Horses. I did a talk some years ago called The Language of Evolution, in which I showed people that actually the evidence for evolution is not scientific. The evidence for evolution is in the language that's used. You go to a museum and you'll see the various displays that they have that they claim they've put on display to give evidence for evolution. When you look at them, you realize that the display doesn't actually tell you about evolution. In the display, the fossil doesn't speak evolution, the bones don't speak evolution, but the labels that they give you and the way that they invite you to interpret that uh, evidence, that is where the evolution actually is. So it's in the language. Now, there was a popular program produced jointly by the BBC and PBS about 15 years ago called Walking with Beasts, Walking with Prehistoric Beasts. And in one episode, there was a Gastornis bird, a giant bird, which eventually eats uh, one of these little uh, horse-like creatures, which the, uh, the program claimed were ancestors of the horse, evolutionary ancestors of the horse. And this whole episode takes uh, 20 minutes to build up. This entire story takes 20 minutes. And the narrator, who is the Oscar-winning actor Kenneth Branagh, says at the end of it, this is a world where birds eat horses. Well, what evidence do they have for that entire 20-minute CGI sequence? The answer is only that they happen to find a fossilized Gastornis, six fossilized uh, Propelgotherium, which are the uh, uh, supposed ancestors of the horse, and uh, a couple of bunches of fossilized grapes in the Messel pit in Germany, uh, a famous place for fossils uh, in Germany. For more information about Paul Taylor and New Life Creation Ministry, please visit just6days.com. Thanks for listening. God bless you.